Hey, murder lovers, my name's Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast, and Fatina is now one year older. Welcome Yay! back. <laughs> <laughs> so we took a break because it was your birthday last week. Yes, it was. And Fatina was too drunk to record the next day. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> totally was. Um, had a great time. Family, friends were here. Um, thanks for everyone who uh, came we had a great over. Time. Had a great, great time. One of those times where like your belly hurts the next day from so yeah. much laughter. Um, but I got a lot of presents uh, from friends that totally know me, and yeah. they were all true crime related. Um, and I'm sorry because uh, the next couple of days were rough, so I didn't text all y'all. Uh, you know who you are. Thank you. One of my favorite cards was from um, Candace. She's a 911 operator. And uh, she said, don't cause too much trouble because I'm working tonight. <laughs> don't generate any 911 calls. <laughs> so I'll do my best. <laughs> I'll do my best. So thanks, everyone, for the presence. I really appreciate it. Um, but I'm recovered now. Lots of water later. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah. Good idea. So I teased my story on Instagram a couple yeah. weeks ago before we knew we were going to take the week off. But today we will be covering the true story of the conjuring house oh, now scary i am giving a full disclaimer at the beginning of this because some of you out there don't handle spooky haunted things that well some of you live for it eat breathe and die for it um no pun intended huh. um <laughs> but if spooky demon possessions is not your thing this is not your episode um for those of you who are cool with it Maybe, like, say a prayer, sage real quick, like, get yourself in a good place, um, or, like, do that afterwards, like myself, I did. Buckle um, up. Just because, like, when we're talking about demon spirits, man, like, I always try and, like, keep my grandma's advice in the back of my head. She's like, you don't really want to mess with that kind of stuff, and she's right, I no. don't, um, but the stories themselves are interesting, so... I I'm looking forward to it. Explore and know my limits. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. So the story of the Conjuring House. Now, um, I will say that I'll start kind of by talking a little bit about the film. So the film itself is based on the experience of mostly Ed and Lorraine Warren, who mm -hmm. are paranormal investigators. And they came to this house to investigate what was going on in the house. Now, during the filming of The Conjuring, as most of these movies tend to have, weird things did happen during filming itself. Oh, really? So Joey King, who some of us know, she played Gypsy Rose in The, the Act. She the played act. Gypsy Rose in The Act. She played Christine Perron, who was one of the kids. Okay. Um, and she ended up like mysteriously covered in bruises. Oh, during the filming? During filming. Oh, and weird. kids basically are not allowed to do their own stunts in Hollywood as oh, far okay. as filming goes. So it wasn't stunt related. There was really no rhyme or reason for it. Oh, she just weird. ended up covered in very random bruises. At one point um, during filming, they caught a curtain moving on its own that wasn't Ooh. supposed to move. <laughs> and that was during The Conjuring 2. Now, was this filmed in the house, like on no, site? No, so I'm going to get to that here in oh, just okay. a second. Vera Farmiga, who played the mom in the whole thing, um, mm -hmm. which we'll get into names and everything, but she plays Caroline uh, or Carolyn Perrin. Uh, she reported that the day after filming wrapped, she found three claw marks that were like bruises on her thigh. Oh, no. And she had seen and encountered like claw marks showing up randomly while she was filming. So when it 
actually showed up on her body, she was like, okay, this isn't a coincidence. Yeah. Um, But the film itself was filmed, I believe it was filmed in California. The house itself is located in Harrisville, Rhode Island. James Wan is the director, and you guys might recognize his name from Insidious, The Nun, most famously Saw. Oh, yeah, okay. he's he's <sighs> got a and that what are you yeah slasher that horror films are kind of like his thing. Yeah, in fact, Andrea Perrin, who has written a book about her experiences and everything in the house, she's the oldest daughter, um, was very upset when she found out that he was going to be the director of the movie because she was like, "He's the guy behind Saw. Like, this is my family story. I don't want my family story oh. being told by like a slasher horror film guy." Gotcha. Um, but she said that he was really great during filming, and she kind of had misperceptions of who he was going to end up being, oh, okay. and she was ended up really liking him as a person. So she thought he was going to, like, glorify it more and exaggerate yeah. things even more. Totally. But he didn't. Okay. Yeah. Which is scary. Well, <laughs> he did exaggerate everything more. Okay. So, but he didn't glorify it. Okay. Yeah. And I shouldn't say him so much as Warner Brothers. And James Wan came into the film because he was so freaked out by the real story after reading Andrea's books that he actually oh. never stepped foot onto the property itself he's never been to the house even though he did three movies about it he's never been to the house i mean if it's that bad but the film itself andrea has basically said that none of it is as it actually happened she said some of the things that they took are inspired by things that happened Mm. but the circumstances around it changed like at one point the clock stops it's a different time in the movie than it actually stopped at that they always have it stop in the movie during the witching hour, which is after 3, 3 a.m. Yeah. She said it actually stopped at 5.15 on the dot every morning. That's or weird. on mornings where things were happening. Sure. And um, several other things where they took, they took things that had actually happened and then basically reconstructed different, they fictionalized the circumstances surrounding it. Sure. Just to be like, well. Yeah, so... Palatable for the mass media, you know. If you ask her, she'll say none of it's true. Hmm. Like, nothing in the movie is true. Um, Other than, like, the house is haunted. Yeah. Yeah. But she is actually in the works of writing three screenplays right now of what actually happened. Because she said she feels like people are ready to know the true story. And when the screenwriting was happening for The Conjuring, basically it kept getting kicked back because they said that it was what really happened was too scary, that they couldn't put it in a movie because audiences would end up walking out. And so they really watered it down. And so she feels now obligated because the movies are so fictionalized, she feels obligated to tell the true story. story. Mm -hmm. That's so, scary because that movie's already scary. Well, and she started writing it in 2018 and then COVID happened. So obviously COVID has slowed everything down. Sure. So it hasn't started. Last I heard it hadn't started yet, but that might be different now right. in 2021. Um, but yeah, I am interested to see. I have never seen the movies myself. I don't do horror I movies. I know you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't do horror movies. Yeah. Um, but... If it's a real story, I might consider it. Well, the, the well, now knowing that The Conjuring, the movie, is not real, I can tell you, if you put yourself in that mindset of, like, I'm going to let myself get scared and let those jump scares scare me, which is what I, I let myself do, it's it's jump scary. It's scary. Yeah. So, I mean, I and you don't like do that. that. I know you nope. don't. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. 
No, I don't. As long as Kara's in the room, I'll watch anything. I also like, like I said, I don't like messing with particularly <laughs> demon possession stuff. Like, yeah. I don't like horror movies like The Strangers or Saw or any of that kind of stuff. Hell no. No to demons? Yeah, <laughs> no. no. But to demons especially, I'm like, nope. No, not today, <laughs> Satan. Not today. Quite literally. <laughs> so, it's a big no, all of the above. So um, currently, the house that is now known as the Conjuring House, it's actually the, like, it's actually called the Arnold Estate. That's its real name, name sure. if you will. Um, it is currently for sale. It is up for sale for $1.2 Oh, God. Um, the current orders actually bought it a few years ago at the price of just above 400000 but they turned it into a business in the process. A business so of what? They let people come and book stays, and they can oh, stay in the okay. house and do paranormal investigations, sure, sure. which wasn't the case before them owning it. Gotcha. So now not only are they selling the house, but they're selling the business rights. Well, that makes sense. So that's why the cost increase is like so substantial. Right. They probably remodeled and staged it. And, yes. Yeah, cool. So like I said, the Arnold Estate is located in Harrisville, Rhode Island. It is largely considered to be the most haunted house in America. It's a colonial style house that was built in 1736. It's three bedrooms, two baths, and it is 3,100 square feet. And it still stands on the original stone foundation, which is almost unheard of for a house that old from the 1700s to be still on its original foundation. Oh, no. Heart attack. I just pressed my screen and it went white. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) It. (laughs) Sorry. Satan's like, you're right. Not today. It's not. (laughs) <laughs> Jesus was like, you don't need this one. Nope. <laughs> the What's even more amazing about this is that it has survived the American Revolutionary War. It survived the Civil War. It, and those are the wars that were fought on home soil, right. particularly in this area. So, like, right. battles occurred around this house. In fact, they've said that the blood of soldiers have been shed on that la- land. Ooh. So... It survived all of that. It also survived multiple storms, including a hurricane that happened in 1938. This hurricane was incredibly powerful. It destroyed multiple homes in the area, but this house stood standing. Mm. And a former resident thought the house may have survived because of the paranormal activity. That's what I'm thinking. And the parents specifically believed that it survived because it's a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse. Cleverly disguised. Yes. So, in 1970, December of 1970 to be specific, Roger and Carolyn Perrin moved into the house. Now, Roger at one point had thought that he was going to become a priest. He was very... Um, he was a very devout Catholic yeah. and wanted to pursue the priesthood until he met his wife and was like, celibacy is not for me. So okay. <laughs> he got married, had his kids, everything like that. Now his daughters, he had five daughters with Carolyn. They were Nancy, Christine, Andrea, Cindy, and April. Now Andrea, who wrote the books later on about her experiences, 
Um, she reported seeing her first full apparition within minutes of moving in. Oh, damn. And she said this was weird because they had visited the farm several times before actually moving and had never experienced anything until the day they moved in. And she said that's true of all of her family members. None of them experienced anything until the day they moved in. And then it happened almost immediately. She said within five minutes of them parking the car and starting to unload things, she saw her first full body apparition. Oh, that's scary. Now, um, they had bought the house from an older man. Uh, they said that he was very kind. They were really drawn to like his generous personality and he just kind of like captured their hearts. Um, Charming. Yeah. Just like a really wholesome older man. Hmm. Was there ever really an older man? Yes. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So they had kind of like built this relationship. Carolyn had actually been the one that had found the house and had stumbled upon it completely by chance. And then they ended up buying the house from the man. And he never indicated anything was up with the house until he handed the keys to Roger (laughs) and told him, for the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night. Dude. Now, Roger, I don't know if he, like, said, sir, can you please elaborate? Right. But he interpreted that as, like, oh, I need to leave the lights on at night because... The staircase is so big or, like, it's kind of hard to navigate the 14 various rooms of the house. Because there's only three bedrooms, but there's 14 rooms all together. That maybe, like, they would hurt themselves trying to get around at night. Yeah, totally. Didn't think that it was because of hauntings or anything. But what they found out several months later from the neighbors was that anytime somebody drove by the house when this older man lived there with his wife, the entire house at night was lit up. Every single light was on in the house all night long, any night. And while there are some theories that you get more activity in the dark or you can see more things at night, Andrea says that, like, it really didn't matter. Like, a lot of their experiences happened during the daytime. So (laughs) the lights didn't really make a difference, but maybe it made it more tolerable. Right. Those most immediately affected by these, what happened in the house were all of the girls and the kids. anybody of the female persuasion. Mm-hmm. Roger seemed to be kind of relatively unfazed by things mm-hmm. to the point where he almost didn't really believe it was happening. But all of the girls experienced things and so did Caroline. In fact, like she, she got the brunt of it, if you will. I wonder if that's just because he was formerly like a very pious man and just maybe had a different mindset about paranormal activity. Yeah. I'm, there's definitely, you know, um, children are definitely seen as being more susceptible to stuff. Yeah. They just, um, they're more vulnerable. They don't have all those walls built up where they reason things away, if you will. Um, and Carolyn really experienced things as we'll get into later on because of a female force in the house that took up issue with her. Oh, yeah. Okay. There are theories that the man that sold the house to the family, um, he didn't talk about what had happened to him and didn't like really share any experiences other than like BT dub, leave the lights on or whatever. Right. And it's thought that he probably didn't because this was during the seventies and he didn't want to be seen as basically a crazy old man. Right. Um, the family, the parents are very adamant that this is a man that was very much like cognitively intact. There was no reason to think that he was losing his mind or anything like that. He just didn't want to be perceived as that. So he didn't talk about, Anything that had happened weird with him in the house, he was just like, 
here's the keys be careful, you know, and that's right. basically but it. But he never also, like, outwardly spoke about it. Right. Huh. So he never talked about it with the neighbors, never talked about it with anybody. It was just kind of like... So the only confirmation is that this exchange of keys conversation. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there's no accounts to what he experienced right. or didn't experience. Right. Because we don't know. Hmm. <laughs> I know. And so... What did you, what did you see, sir? <laughs> So the family started noticing, like I said, things right immediately off the gate, like apparitions, if you will. There were things like Carolyn would be sweeping and where she swept, she would turn around, there would be a pile of dust there all of a sudden. Hmm. Even though she had just swept up the floor, there would be a pile of dust. There, a broom would very often like move its way around the house, like find it in different places where she hadn't left it. They began to see... Several apparitions, if you will. They said that there were quite at least 12 spirits in the house. That's, like holy they, moly, that's so many. They would pop up. They walked around outside. You would see them walking past the window. They would peek out around corners. Like, I mean, they there was an abundance of them. A lot of them. Yeah. Um, they would hear weird noises at night. And then one of the youngest ones, Cindy... Um, when she was born, she was born with a birth defect on her face and she had to have surgery within being two months of being old. And it was to correct this deformity on her face. And they said when they were operating on her that she actually like passed over, if you will. Oh, okay. So she died on the table of surgery and then they brought her back. Okay. And the family believes that because of this experience and the fact that she crossed over, she became more susceptible to the spirits. Not yeah. even a portal, but, like, that they recognized that about her. Weird. And so she immediately began hearing voices in the house. And they said that she was always the first one to experience things, very often the first one to see things. And oh, they do Cindy. think that there's, like, a weird connection that she had because sure. she had at one point died and come back. She had that connection with them right right so they had that connection with her i guess exactly so she at one point um within like the first five days of living in the house she like came and ran into andrea's room and at night and got into bed with her and she said that she had heard voices coming from her room and they were really loud and she's like i can't believe that you guys aren't hearing this and andrea's like well what are you hearing and she's like they're all like, it's all the same voice, but there's like a lot of them and they're all talking at the same time and they're all saying the same thing. And Andrea's like, well, what are they saying? And she said, they're saying there are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. There are seven dead soldiers oh buried in the God. wall. Over and over and over again, they're saying the same thing. Wow. Now, currently. For a little girl to hear that? Yeah. Oof. And try and figure that out. Now, no. like I said. The house had survived the wars. Right. And so... <laughs> but in the walls. In the walls. So there's actually a team right now as um, as Andrea is writing her screenplays for what actually happened, that they are going to check the load-bearing walls to see if there are any human remains in them. Weird. There's also... They're also thinking maybe there might be some in the well. Um, oh. But... Cindy has been approached with this and, you know, maybe it was the wall. And she's like, no, I know what I heard. They said the walls. Right. I wonder if that's just, you know, spirits that died or, you know, spirits of soldiers that died around there and found that as a place to 
It didn't say Stay. spirits. It said there's seven dead Ooh, soldiers no, right. buried in the wall. Oh, good God. What was the previous owner's name? <laughs> what was Bob doing? <laughs> right. Oh, and we'll talk about, like, where the house kind of genera- generationally came up. Because um, okay. Carolyn does do some research on it later okay. on. Um, they said that the ghosts did become much louder when guests were over and they kind of made a scene when people were around, which is weird because the family themselves hadn't experienced that when they came over before they bought the house. Right. Um, but they said after that, they would like make clapping noises. They would bang things around. Like they were kind of like obnoxious and destructive when people were over. There was often, and still to this day, stories of a ghost of a woman in white that stands outside of the kitchen window. And very often, a woman's voice can be heard. For the most part, the spirits do seem friendly, and everyone in the family exists amicably with these spirits. They're just kind of like, we just came to terms with the fact that we weren't living by ourselves, um, but, like, we're all homies here, and everybody, like, has their spot in the house, and we're all good. So, <laughs> of the three affected, like, uh, every all the women were affected. Mm-hmm. There's five daughters, right? And then there's right. Carolyn. Of... The girls, the most affected were Andrea, April, and Cindy. And Cindy being the youngest, having horrible interactions. She said her experiences were just awful. What that? Andrea said they were the best 10 years of her life. She was like, loved what? it. Learned so much. No longer have a fear of death because of these experiences. Whatever. Weird. April was like, they were all my friends. Like, April what? made friends with a ghost that lived in the broom closet. And she said that his name was Oliver Richardson. Now, they haven't been able to find anybody named Oliver Richardson affiliated with the property. Mm. But there is a woman who was named Olive Richardson. Oh. Who died in 1867. And her grave marker was 10 miles away from the Arnold estate. Okay. So they're not sure if there is a possibility that... There's a connection between There's them? a connection there. Hmm. Um, current ghost hunters say that they do pick up the presence of a young boy that still lives in that closet, but he introduces himself as Manny. I wonder if Olive's middle name is R. So it's like Olive R. Richardson? Maybe. Instead of like Olive R. And like maybe it's just a miscommunication because you are talking to a ghost. Um, <laughs> but they but they appear in apparitions. Oh, so she and, sees a, a male form. Right. And we're talking about the 1800s, hmm. so this is, a, a boy would have very much presented as a boy, right. whereas a girl would have very much presented as a girl. Right. But now, the ghost that lives there is Manny. So I'm like, is he just messing with people? Like, <laughs> Maybe it's just an elevator for spirits, and they keep switching. Which goes to the whole portal thing, which right. we're going to get into that a little bit more. The family reported, like I said, April had kind of made friends with this ghost. The family all kind of, like, agrees that the spirits there, for the most part, like, a lot of the spirits really loved them. And, like, they kind of had, like, this... Camaraderie? Yeah. They were like, we're all in this together. Like... The Brady Punch of ghost families. (laughs) And everything kind of is, like, good. But Carolyn keeps having, like, weird things happen to her. That's the mom, right? Okay. Yeah. And she's really kind of getting the brunt of things. She very often, like, her encounters borderline on dangerous. Hmm. And she begins researching the house. And so what she finds is that the home itself had the same family for eight generations. Whoa. It was 
like I said, the Arnold estate. So it was the Arnold family mm-hmm. who had this this home in their family for eight generations. And many of the family members died under mysterious or horrible circumstances. Oh. Several of the Arnold children throughout the generations drowned in a nearby creek. Oh, God. Which I was like, once it happens once, once why didn't right. we put up a fence or something? Um then 11-year-old Prudence Arnold was raped and murdered by a farmhand. Oh, my goodness. A few of them hanged themselves in the attic. One committed suicide by poisoning. What? That's like the worst. Four men of the family froze to death. Excuse me? And those are just the ones that we have, like, documented. Records of. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. So, like, this family is plagued with tragedy. Yeah, they are. And so... Quote, unquote, tragedy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So things kind of start to slowly escalate. Um, At one point in the movie, um, there's a scene, which I haven't seen, but I've heard it described, um, where Carolyn is calling to Andrea in a panic and asking Andrea to come to her or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. And Andrea can't. Again, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't really know. But what really happened was Carolyn was in the kitchen and basically, like, had seen something or was startled by something. And she called out to Andrea. And Andrea was trying to get to her mom, but she couldn't because she was paralyzed. Oh. Laying in her bed, unable to move, and paralyzed by whatever it was that was stopping her. It's like a force stopping her. And, um, like I said... Things would start to take place in the morning. So at 5.15 on the dot in the mornings, the kids would have basically like their beds would start shaking. They would start oh god, like levitating a little bit. There's even some, um, some accounts that potentially like the kids were actually flung out of their beds. And it was always at 5.15 a.m. on the dot. That is such a weird time. And at that time, the clocks in the house would stop working. So they'd freeze at 5.15 in the morning. And it was always around this time that, like, significant things would happen. And for whatever reason, the clocks would stop along with this significant event happening. Huh. So not only at 5.15, but when big things happen. Oh, very often it was at 5.15 in the morning. Sure. Okay. That's... mm. I wonder what the significance is behind that. Because, like, you know, it's not the... It's not the witching hour. Right. So it's I not don't what is known know. as the witching hour. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't wonder know if it's why like a fit... window. Yeah, I don't know what it is. But it is interesting that it happens at the same time. Like, I'm sitting here trying to add them, multiply, divide them, trying to figure out if there's a secret meaning to them. But I'm like, 11? I mean, 11, like... I, I mean, I it's 3.15 Pacific time, so... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they don't understand time zones. I don't know. <laughs> Were there time zones in the 1800s? We figured it out. It was Pacific time. (laughs) So about three years into the family living there, they began to notice this smell. And the smell was described as a rotting flesh smell. Ew. The smell would also, like, be the strongest at 5.15 in the morning. So this waft of this smell would come, and then these beds would start shaking. That's not terrifying at Uh, all. Yeah. And so when this stuff started happening, they were like, I think maybe we're dealing with a demon, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> Something's Family not meeting. right. And 
This was further escalated in 1974. Carolyn was laying on a sofa in the living room and she felt a sharp pain in her calf muscle. And so she went to inspect what was going on and she found a puncture wound in her calf and blood dripping down her leg. And so she's looking for things on the sofa, looking to see if something had, like, stabbed her, poked out somewhere. In sure. fact, at one point she was looking for, like, a bee to see if she'd been stung, which I was like, that's a, that's, that's a, a, what were a those? big bee. Remember the, what was it, Killer Hornets in 2020 yeah. or something like that, where everybody was like, ah! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doesn't find anything. So there's no rhyme or reason for what has actually stabbed her in the leg. Carolyn was like, okay. I think I'm being targeted now. Right. And she was. So the theory is that Carolyn was targeted because this demonic spirit basically was upset that Carolyn was the mistress of the household, if you will, um, and saw Carolyn as direct competition. Oh. Um, Carolyn kind of like... It was very often assaulted, if you will. Um, Things that happened to her were kind of more violent encounters. She, what I believe now, now that we know, like, the signs of it, basically Mm -hmm. fell into a deep depression. Oh, I'm sure. So she was described as wasting away. Like, she wasn't eating. She wasn't really sleeping. Um, Her daughter described her as basically being light as a feather. She was doing the coffee cigarette diet at that point. Um, was literally just living off of coffee cigarettes. She said that often, like, her mom would start speaking in a different voice that was often high-pitched. Oh, weird. And not sounding like herself. And so they were growing increasingly worried about her. And then on one particular day, Carolyn announced that she was hungry. And it was, like, 11 o'clock at night. And she was, like, came downstairs. At this point, Andrea had kind of had to step into this mother role because her mom, she was the oldest daughter, her mom wasn't really able to take care of them because she was so consumed by what was happening. And so Carolyn came to Andrea and was like, I'm hungry. And Andrea was like, perfect. I made beef Let's stew tonight. Feed you. I'll yeah. heat some up for you. You go sit down. I'll take care of it. I'll bring it to you. And her mom was like, cool. Can you make me a pot of coffee? And Andrea was okay. like, it's 11 o'clock at night. I don't think you need coffee. And she was like, I guarantee you I do. <laughs> so Carolyn was like, all right, well, I'll make you some coffee. I'll make you some dinner. Go wait in the parlor area. They had like this parlor sure. area. Now in the parlor, they had... The fireplace that actually existed. And she said it was a really cold night. So they had a fire going in that fireplace. And Carolyn went in there to put another log on the fire. Now, in the same room, there was a former fireplace that existed in a different part of the room. But it had been sealed off more than 100 years ago. So it was no longer an active fireplace. You couldn't even access it. And so when Carolyn went in there... Um, she put a log on the fire and heard laughter <gasps> behind her. No. At this point, the house was dark. It was 11 o'clock at night. They hadn't really oh took it God. seriously that they needed to leave the lights on every night. So the house was dark. She turned around to see the room behind her completely lit up. What? And the fireplace that had been sealed off a hundred years ago was suddenly standing exposed. And there was a woman that was cooking a stew on said fireplace. Oh, my God. And she said that there was a family sitting around a table that wasn't their own. 
None of the furniture in the room was theirs at this point. And she said it was very clear that the family was all sitting down to have dinner. And she said, as the family sat down to have dinner, the mom began starting to bring the dinner. And one of the men sitting at the table looked at her, nudged his friend, and then pointed at (laughs) Caroline. Almost as if to be like, do you see what I see? Oh, like seeing her as As the ghost. Seeing Carolyn as the ghost. And she said it was at that moment she realized that she was seeing into the past and they were seeing into the future. And that's when she came to the conclusion that their house was actually a portal. Whoa. And it worked both ways. So the spirits could see her. She could see them. And basically, like, time was interchangeable in this sure. space. Time and space intersected here. Yeah. And it was a portal to another dimension, if you will. Yeah. And so that's probably why she was being harassed, because whoever was seeing her saw her as, like, another woman in the house. This is not like... the family. This is not who's harassing her. Oh, Jesus. So I'm going to get to that. But like I said, they believe that there was up to 12 sure. different spirits living in the house, and this right. was one of the families. Whoa. So, at this point, the Warrens get called in. Right. Now, it sounds like the Warrens actually sought out the parents and not the other way around. In the movie, the parents seek out the Warrens. Okay. Um, But Ed and Lorraine Warren founded the New England Society for Psychic Research in 1952. They are, or during that time, they were largely considered the most famous paranormal investigators in the U.S., And Ed Warren was a World War II vet, he was a former police officer, and he had become known as, quote-unquote, a demonologist. Okay. He ain't afraid of no ghosts. That was not a course when I went to college. Right. But... (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would have gotten my PhD in that. And then Lorraine, um, she claimed to be a clairvoyant, she also, um, clairvoyant, medium, whatever. Sure. Basically, she could talk to dead people. Right. And see them, talk to them, yeah. Specifically, she said she could communicate with demons. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Direct line. Now, they were made famous by their investigation of the Amityville house. Right. And also of a haunted, haunted, a haunted Raggedy Ann doll. Oh. (laughs) That's why I said haunted. Hauntedy Raggedy. Hauntedy Raggedy Ann doll. Um, uh... It's a haunted Raggedy Ann doll that is said to be haunted by Annabelle. Right. And that's, I think, isn't that at Zach Baggins? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Museum the now? original yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Well, so when I was watching a BuzzFeed Unsolved tour mm-hmm. of this one, and they kept referring to these Raggedy Ann dolls as Annabelle, and I was like, no, that's Raggedy Ann, first of all. Right. Um, now I know why they kept doing that. Um, but yeah, it's said that this Raggedy Ann doll is also haunted by the spirit of Annabelle. Right. Eventually, as we all know, um, they began, they basically worked as consultants for the Conjuring movie because of what I'm about to tell you as far as their experiences go at this house. And like you said, the movie was based on their experience. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Loosely. Loose. Very loosely. Yeah. (laughs) It was... It was designed to show them in the best light possible. Hmm. Okay. Because this is not what actually happens. Ed and Lorraine do not have control over this situation. (laughs) Okay. Lorraine comes into the house. Ed and Lorraine show up. Lorraine comes into the house and before even introducing herself, she says, 
there's a malignant spirit here and she is Bathsheba. By the way, I'm Lorraine. <laughs> and they're like, okay. And so they begin talking to the family and everything like that. And this is further validated when Carolyn shows them her injuries on her leg. Oh, okay. And what we find out is, first of all, Bathsheba, before I get too far into it, there is a biblical character right. named Bathsheba. It's a fairly significant character, if you will. It's not her. Not her. Okay. Which I was like... Yeah, that'd be weird. Of, like, King Solomon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's not her. Um, so they believe that this is a former neighbor of the estate. Neighbor? Whose, whose name is Bathsheba Sherman. Okay. And Bathsheba Sherman was born in 1812 and lived next door with her husband. Oh, my God. Her husband, Judson. Husband. Her her husband's name is Judson. So oh. <laughs> I just can't talk. So Bessie was born in 1812, and she lived next door with her husband, Judson. And the town turned on her when an infant died under mysterious circumstances under her care. Oh, not her child. Not her child. Oh. After examination. They basically determined that the cause of death was a large sewing needle piercing <gasps> the base of the baby's skull. No. And so she was branded a witch. Many have said that she's a Satanist. In oh The Conjuring, God. Bathsheba is portrayed as a witch. Right. I should probably see these movies yeah, before I talk should. about them so, yeah. like, factually. And yeah, I'm like, okay. I know this. Yeah, this is what happens. Somebody's like, 32. the name of the witch. <laughs> um, but... The town basically said that she used the baby as a human sacrifice to the devil. She was cleared of this crime. We're not sure how. There isn't a whole lot of documentation for it. Just that, like, her name was legally cleared. But the town wasn't convinced. Of course. And so Lorraine Warren speculated that Bathsheba had used a sewing needle to stab Carolyn in the leg. And that's what had created the puncture. No, Bathsheba died in May of 1885, and legend has it that her body turned to stone when she died. <laughs> Other stories say that she died of a bizarre form of paralysis. But a historian discovered that her husband had died on the Arnold estate. And they believe huh. that that's possibly why she's attached herself to this house. Oh, that would make sense. She wants to be with her husband. Yeah. And so, or she knew that that house was a portal and that if her husband died there, that she can come back there and be with him. Maybe. 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 Theories. I don't think she'll ever tell us. Probably not. So the Warrens timed all their arrival for the day before Halloween and they were like, this is when the veil. <laughs> really? Yeah. They said it's because that's when the veil is the thinnest. Okay. And Carolyn was like, what veil? It's why? Because it's always halloween here so we don't really need to wait for the veil to be the thinnest right like show like up anytime no veil. and it will be happening um but that's the timing they decided on and so the warrens came and they were like we're gonna have a seance and so they call in a psychic um psychic medium so like a whole team yeah a whole team okay they call in a psychic they call in a priest and they call in a videographer team basically like a cinematic cinematic feature if you will they set up state-of-the-art Equipment for filming for their... of this whole thing. 
That's so odd. You guys are probably wondering why there's, like, no footage of that in the movie. I'm going to tell you. Okay. Yes, they they bring in the gang. In 2013, when The Conjuring was happening, Lorraine Warren was interviewed by USA Today, and at that time she was 86 years old. Her husband died in 2006. And she said that the things that happened on the night of the seance were just, just, quote, incredibly frightening. It still affects me to talk about it today. Oh, wow. So what happened was Lorraine was basically supposed to be in control of the situation and working as the facilitator, um, translator, if you will. (laughs) Um, Basically, like, the medium was supposed to kind of, like, wrangle them. Conjure them up, if you will. (laughs) Um, But Lorraine was really going to be the one that kind of like translated or whatever. But that's not what happened. So the medium that they brought in, the psychic, whatever you want to call her, rather than like assembling the troops, but like keeping control of the herd, if you will, Uh she summoned all of them together. Oh. Because she basically was like, listen, which one of you is the female spirit that's been causing all these issues and wanted to get the root of it with like the whole gang, if you will. But you don't just call in, like, a mass of spirits at the same time. And so things got completely out of control. And what ended up happening is that the spirits jumped. And rather than just, like, speaking to Lorraine, they basically jumped and took over Carolyn's body. (gasps) Now, what Andrea will say is that this was not a possession, that her mom was attacked. But there are a lot of things that kind of indicate possession-ish. Right. Um... All in all, the whole event lasted several hours. Um, but during this time, Andrea said that she like she witnessed the whole thing. She said she could feel like she was going to pass out. She heard her mom speaking in tongues and in voices that weren't her own. And then at one point, her chair started levitating. Oh, my goodness. And at this point, she said everything that happened past this point took about five minutes, and her mom was violently attacked. She said her mom's chair started levitating. And Roger said that his wife's body basically became distorted and started twisting and bending in ways that it shouldn't. Oh, God. And then all of a sudden she was lifted out of her chair and thrown 20 feet into the next room and hit a wall. That's a lot of force. Yeah. Hit a wall and basically knocked unconscious. Um, the Warrens got up to like check on her and rushed over to be like, is she okay? And Roger got between them and was like, you can't touch her. She might be possessed. She might be dead. She's not moving. She's just lying on the floor, like crumpled on the floor. And he's like, you are not touching her. You're getting out of this house. Ed and Roger get into a whole exchange, which ends with Roger punching Ed Warren in the face. And then he kicks them out of his house. Okay. When the Warrens leave, they still don't know if Carolyn is dead or alive, because she's lying crumpled unconscious on the floor. Carolyn is very much alive and did not become permanently possessed. Oh, good. But she has no memories of this event. She suffered a severe concussion as a result of her attack. Um, And all of the film equipment that was Uh set up around the house, when the videographers got what they were carrying on themselves home. Everything had been wiped. Of course. And the equipment that was downstairs in the cellar, which tends to be the most active area in the house, 
was all smashed and destroyed when they went down there Whoa. to pick it up. She, Andrea said that the team went down there to retrieve their stuff and came back up sobbing because thousands of dollars worth yeah. of equipment had been shattered into pieces. Dang. So there's no audio and no video of the entire night. Only their accounts of what yeah. happened. Luckily, there are multiple people that have confirmed right. it. Yeah. So, unlike in the film, um, Ed did not perform an exorcism. I think in the in the film, he's portrayed as doing an exorcism. Yeah. Um, but he he's trained as an assistant in these hmm. exorcisms, but he cannot perform one. Exorcisms themselves are typically considered to be a sacred practice of the right. Catholic Church. You have to get permission. Yeah. You have to, yeah. Um, only a priest can perform it. So he would never, she said, never overstep those boundaries, no matter what the situation was, to try and perform an exorcism. So that part is completely fabricated. Um, but the parents do agree that the Warrens had good intentions. They just didn't have control over the situation. Mm. And they, obviously, whatever was going on, they angered the spirits that right. were there. Um, once the Warrens left, the activities kind of settled and went back to normal, for lack of a better term. Um, but Andrea said, like, the family basically... They were like, cool, we're not living here alone. Like, we... But we're not gonna piss them off, okay? Like, we don't need to anger them. And so the family stayed in the house for 10 years altogether. Wow. Although Carolyn made desperate attempts to try and get the family out, um, they were pretty much stuck there because of their financial situation. They yeah. couldn't just afford to move. And during that time, the kids were often suspended at school for talking about ghost stories. Oh. <laughs> the school did not care for that much. And there was a big rift between Roger and Carolyn. Um, Roger, Aww. for a very long time, basically said that he didn't, that basically he just didn't think that it was what all the girls said it was. Because he um, wasn't experiencing the same thing. He wasn't experiencing the same things. What he said later on is that basically he denied it out of fear and guilt mm. of putting his family in a situation where they were in Har harm's, way. harm's way. So he didn't want to acknowledge it out of fear. Um... But That's when the sad. family, I know, and the family moved out, um, and it caused like issues in the marriage. Oh, obviously. sure. Um, you have a wife that's going through stuff, and the husband's pretending nothing, nothing's happening. Yeah, and, and she's like, things are happening. Yeah, right, right. I can only imagine the wedge that that drives. Yeah. So when the family moves out, the they kind of disagree about whether or not the spirits followed them. Hmm. Um, there was one interaction right after they moved out where they saw a spirit at a train stop that looked very, it was a spirit from the house from or the whatever. House. There's some back and forth about whether or not the spirits follow them. But it is believed that Bathsheba herself never leaves. Hmm. Um, that the cellar of the house or the basement, if you will, is basically her home. Whoa. And she continues to live there. Now, at one point, the cellar operated as a daycare. No. Yeah, like back in like the 1800s, okay. if you will. I mean, it's a huge basement. Huge. Okay. In fact, there is a drawing on one of the walls of a woman that is referred to as the Crooked Neck Woman or the Crooked Neck Lady, if the you will. The Crooked Neck Lady? Yeah. So what it looks like oh, is a woman with a broken neck. So basically, like, she, her body is, you know the <laughs> character in Charlie Brown that does the dance with the neck that pops out or whatever, and he's constantly like... You know, yeah. 
yeah, that's what it looks like, but like permanently, like her sure. neck is dislodged. Like a zigzag neck. Yeah. yeah. It's not even like a zigzag. It's just like her head sticks out and her body is pushed back. So they're just yeah. disjointed from each other. And um, so that is on the wall. And they said that when they went down there to clear things out, they would often find like pieces of crumpled up papers from the kids that oh, had been down the there. And many of them had the drawing of the same lady. Oh, my. And what they found, a paranormal investigator said that he found the spirit of a woman by the well with what appeared to be a broken neck. And they believe that the person that hung themselves or hanged mm-hmm. themselves basically um, wanders as a spirit and she can be seen with a broken neck from her hanging. Oh, that's rough. And the kids all pick up on it. Oh, I'm sure. And that's what they draw. They just draw yeah. what they see. The so, crooked neck lady. So there's not much account of the house between the parents moving out and 2019 when Corey and Jennifer hangs in by the house. There is another owner. I think there's actually a few different owners in between there and one specifically that kind of um, lends their story to The Conjuring. But then when The Conjuring blew up and became like such a such a headline, mm-hmm. she was like, never mind. Everything I said wasn't true and I don't want any part of this attention and drew back. Hmm. Now... I believe that that might be because of the experiences that happened because similar things happened to um, Carolyn later on after she moved out of the house. Lorraine contacted her and said basically like, I have a deal for you where you can make a ton of money selling your story and writing a book. Oh. And she said that night, um, Carolyn was viciously attacked. Just about, just because she was thinking of them. Yeah. Or- Selling the story. talking about them. So my guess is that this other owner who now does not want to be named or associated with the story at all Mm -hmm. maybe experienced something similar. And now she's like, don't include me in this. Like, I don't, I don't need to be. Fuck the money. Yeah. 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 So Corey and Jennifer are paranormal investigators. Like I said, they bought the house in 2019. They have actually filmed footage of books just flying off the shelf. Really? I mean, literally, it just, like, pops out and just, like, poof. Is this like, on YouTube? Where is this? I need to yeah, see Yeah, I'll it. show you. Okay. Um, doors open on their own. Cell phones get knocked off of services, surfaces. There's very often a father, son, and a dog spirit that appear at the top of the staircase. Oh, that's odd. Um, and so I'm going to tell you like, kind of like some of the, some of the paranormal investigations, if you will. Yeah. So moving on from the family, um, some of the, some of the footage that I watched, one of them was TFIL, which, um, I can never figure out if TFIL stands for the fun in life or the fuck it list. Um, both have been referenced. (laughs) Um, anyway, they, um, they played a Ouija board in the dining room, and the dining room is actually the area. In the house? Yeah. The dining room is the area where the actual seance occurred. Okay. I think in the movie, it's featured in the cellar, the right. basement, but it's actually in the dining room. So the guys play this Ouija board in the dining room, and when they try to say goodbye to the board, because you're always supposed to say goodbye, Hope otherwise you leave it, it open. Yep. They try to say goodbye to the board, and their EMF reader starts beeping like crazy. Like, I mean, just like, beep, 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 and will yeah. not stop. Corey on the same thing, the same YouTube, he has those spirit rods that you sure. hold, and they basically cross mm-hmm. or expand when you ask questions. And so he's holding the rods, and he asks if, if it's a man, cross the rods. If it's a woman, 
open wider. So it opens wider. Okay. And he says, if you're a good spirit, cross the rods. And if you're a bad spirit, open wider. It opens wider. Oh, God. So he's like, cool, Oof. I am out. Um, Corey does not love the whole spirit thing. Um, <laughs> Got, you're in the wrong job, buddy. <laughs> he actually thinks that he has potentially, like, had a spirit attached to him. And so he gets, like, really freaked out by constantly being pulled into these videos or yeah. whatever because he's kind of an expert. But, like, he's like, I don't want to be possessed right. again. <laughs> Get Leave yourself better alone. friends then. <laughs> yeah. um, and then during their filming, a door actually flew open and hit one of the guys in the back of the head. Oh, no. Which I was kind of like, he probably deserved it. <laughs> um, what I have found is that the more seriously you take it, the more you will find. So these sure. guys kind of like goofed off, but like sometimes settled down and actually like when they were serious, Ask they got questions. some real stuff. Um, the BuzzFeed Unsolved, like they totally mocked it the whole time oh. and they didn't get anything. Yeah. Um, the other one that I watched that was probably like the most significant was Sam and Colby. Um, Sam and Colby, I've mentioned them before. They do have like a paranormal haunted like exploration channel and they actually brought a psychic with them. Hmm. Um, her name was Amanda. And when the psychic walked in immediately, she saw kids peeking around the corner. Oh, and she was like. Are there kids that kind of pop in and out? And the owner's like, yeah, that happens sometimes. She's like, yeah, I just saw two of them. And then um, when they went down the stairs into the basement, Amanda and the owner of the house both heard a whisper that said, hey, Sam. (gasps) And one of the guys is Sam. So Sam was walking through the basement like, no. (laughs) Like, why me? Why? And it was funny that both of them heard it. And they both stopped and looked at each other like, did you hear that? And it's during this one that the owner actually shows the video footage of these books flying off the shelf or whatever, like, that he's caught on his own camera. So then Amanda, who's the psychic, she's like, okay, like, I want to do, like, a sensory deprivation thing, if you will. And it's actually referred to as the Estes method. E-S-T-E-S method. Um, It's communication through sensory deprivation. So basically, she puts on these noise-canceling headphones that are attached to a spirit box. Mm. Now, a spirit box is basically, um, you know, but a spirit box is, it basically plays off of radio frequencies and tries to pop out words from the radio questions to the questions that you're asking. It's like currently, it's like always rolling through the stations. Yes. By her putting on the noise canceling headphones, she can't hear what Sam and Colby are asking. She can only relay the answers. Oh, okay, okay. So, Sam so she's, Col- like, focused on what the radio is speaking Right. Up. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. So, she puts on the headphones, and um, Sam and Colby would ask questions. And so, when she puts on the headphones, they hear, like, the shuffling sound, and they're like, um, they're like, did you make that noise? They ask the spirit, did you make that noise? And Amanda goes, yes. Without hearing the question mm. that they're asking, she just says, Yes. Um, and then Sam at one point puts on the headphones to do the same thing and he gets the word underground. And so they're like, do you want us to go to the basement? And the spirit box says, please. Oh yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> so then they say, what's in the basement? And the spirit box goes, heaven. <gasps> Which I was like, it's not, it's not, it's not, um, and then when Colby puts on the headphones, uh, oh. he immediately gets the words, stop right now. Oh. 
and then he gets the word demon and then gets the words, who the hell are you? Oh, shit. And then Amanda goes, Amanda's answering. She goes, I'm Amanda. Who are you? And then there's no answer. And she's like, we need to stop. And she says this out loud. She goes, we sure. need to stop right now. And Colby goes, no. Oh. And Colby can't hear her. Right. He's he just, just says no. what he's hearing. And she goes, we're stopping right now. And like taps Colby to take off the headphones. Because uh-huh. basically the spirit was trying to control the dialogue mm-hmm. and take back over. Um, so Amanda shuts down the activity. And then at that, like, right after this, Stoss, who's with them, I'm, like, saying all these names, like, you guys would know, but there is another girl with them. Her name is Stoss. She's like, oh, I just saw a boy pop his head out from behind that chair and then duck back in. Now, Stoss has no psychic abilities or anything like that, but she's sure that she sees a boy pop out from behind the chair and duck back in. And Amanda goes, that's not a boy. Oh. So then Amanda has to break the news to her because Amanda's a psychic and can see all this stuff. Um... And I shouldn't say she's a psychic. She's a medium. So she can see dead people um, and apparitions and that kind of thing. She says, that's not a boy. That's uh, a bad spirit in disguise. Oh, no. Yeah. And she refers to it as a negative spirit. Um, later on, on their heat reader, they also yeah. catch the a very distinct face of a boy that's not actually there. Oh. And, um, so eventually they decide to venture down into the basement because that's obviously the goal, right? That's what you're there for. Might as well do it. And Amanda goes down there and she's rattled to say the least. Amanda? Um, Yeah. Uh, This is the medium. Okay. Yeah. And she's kind of like, she's immediately kind of goes into protection mode. So she starts setting boundaries right away. She's like, you are not welcome to touch us. You are not Mm. welcome to do this. You are not welcome to do that. And I mean, she just starts rattling stuff off where she wasn't doing that through the rest of the Mm. house. And she was like, we are protected. We are this, we are that. And she's like really going above and beyond to protect them. Um, and she gets really uncomfortable. They start asking questions or whatever. And she goes, we need to go upstairs. And they're like, why? And she's like, I can't tell you down here. Oh, So when they go upstairs with her, she basically says to them, she was like, I'm not going back down there. Whatever it is that's living down there has been waiting a very long time. For people. Basically said has been lying in wait for somebody to be able to recognize it. And she says, whatever it is, is very smart. And she says, it's stronger than anything I could ever imagine encountering and more evil than anything that I could ever imagine encountering. She said it was the strongest, darkest fear that she had ever encountered. And she was like, I can't guarantee your safety. All I can tell you is that whatever it is that lives down there is staying down there. Like, it's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to attach to you. It's not going to leave this house. But it would hurt you if you're in there. But down there, I can't guarantee your safety. Dang. And so she said she actually felt like that spirit was trying to hurt her. And that was why she needed to leave. And she was like, whatever it is, it's really smart. And the guys are like, cool, we're going back down because YouTube. Like, got to get those views. Okay. <laughs> and so the two guys go back downstairs, leaving the girls upstairs. Oh, and when they're down there, they, like, they start having conversation and everything like that. And they're using the spirit box. And then um, they get this off of the spirit box. It says Beezlebub three times. It Isn't also, that the demon's name? Mm-hmm. 
which they don't seem to know. Because I thought, I was like, okay, they, because you can't, you can't hear what the spirit box is saying in the headphones. And I'm like, they're making that up. But they don't seem to know what it is. So I thought if they were making it up, they would at least elaborate on it later right. on. They kind of like reference that they'd have that same reaction as you where they're like, isn't that a demon name? But they don't go into a lot of detail. So it's obvious like they haven't really researched it prior yeah. to using that name. But they get it three different times. And then they get the word slave and prisoner. Oh, God. So they... I'll go into like my own research on that. But... They close it down because they, the EM or the spirit box basically says um, something to the effect of going upstairs and alludes to the fact that it's going upstairs oh, to them, to the girls upstairs. No. And so they shut everything down, go upstairs, they go to open the door and the door's locked. <gasps> and the girls have to let them in. Like they hear them trying to get through let and the they're like, is out. it locked? Um, and it was locked. So that can, that concurred there. Their evening, if you will. And they don't go into a whole lot of detail after that. So I'm like, they did not do their research. Which makes me think that it maybe wasn't staged because they didn't have a whole lot of research to go with it. Because they would have talked about it more. Like, oh, this is what... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I see what you mean. So I did my own research. (laughs) (laughs) So Beezlebub is often recognized as a major demon. In fact, he's considered to be one of the seven princes of hell. And maybe even according to some, part of the unholy trili- tri- trinity? trinity. Yeah. Basically, there's, like, three pretty, like, prominent demonic experience, or spirits, and he's one of them. Yeah. Um, Is it Beezlebub or it's Bezelbub? It's said several different okay. ways. It depends yeah. on what text you yep, pull up Yep, I'm them. sure. Yep. Um, it's translated as Lord of the Flies, and basically mm. that he himself can fly um in some texts in fact Beelzebub is synonymous with satan yeah Um, that was my idea of it and it's interesting that sam and colby got the word slave and prisoner as well because it's written in king of solomon this is part of the old testament um that king solomon or sorry i think it's solomon it's written in solomon in the old testament Uh that king solomon um, describes enslaving demons to build his temple. So stop nervous. It would be smiling. You're making it's me like nervous. It's really interesting <laughs> that that those are the words that were associated with Beelzebub. Yep. Um, whatever he is, he is considered very high in hell's hierarchy, and a 16th century occultist said that. Beelzebub actually led a successful revolt against Satan himself and potentially took over the underworld. Um, An exorcist has said that he is one of three of the most prominent fallen angels and that he himself has been held responsible for many demonic possessions around the world. Um, He's pretty, like, significant as far as, like, being a possessive entity. Um... And his name actually comes up quite a bit during the Salem Witch Trials. So it's often thought that he either... That basically the witches 
if you will, that were accused during the Salem uh-huh. witch trial, they were serving him serving and him. a lot of his sacrifices, which mm. happened very close to Rhode Island. Because I was like, right. all right, but how does Beelzebub end up in the U.S.? <laughs> and like, <laughs> that would He's be... Got this cute little disguised cottage. Yeah. <laughs> so they said that he himself was one of like the reoccurring characters, if you will, in these different trials during the Salem witch trial uh-huh. specifically, but also during kind of like this this witch panic era. Right. Um, where they basically blamed him. Kept giving him credit for it. Yeah. And so there is that Ugh. wondering of everybody knows that Bathsheba Sherman still lives in that house. But there are questions as to Peace of Pub. Yeah, and if that is what's actually living in the basement that's so powerful and strong. Then Kara doesn't even have to tell me I can't go. I will not go there. <laughs> yeah, if that's what's in the basement, I'm no. cool. Yeah, no, like, I'm good. help me out. Yeah, yeah. Although um, Amanda was very specific in saying, like, whatever it is that's in the basement is not leaving the basement. So that's what makes me go, it's not Beelzebub, because he's not, you know, he bounces. But it also could be that all the ghosts are his slaves. And they're all working for him. Right. So that is the story of The Conjuring House. I've never sat here and had more, like, rolling goosebumps. Like, rolling goosebumps. Me too, and I wrote it. I wrote it, and I still, like, frequently had it. Um, That was, like, one of the most fun episodes I have. Yeah, let me cross myself, because, you know, I don't want... mm -mm. Um, Take, like, two minutes and, like, go... Pray like, over your like souls. Spirits and, like and ghosts are one thing, but when you're talking Satan and demon, that's yep. just no, that's I don't, just different. I don't, that's why I told you last night when I finished researching, I literally was like, Lord, yeah. keep us safe. Watch over me and Navy. The good Trinity. We are good. Thank yes. you. Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, Though that's that's um it's really weird to see how the movie was portrayed. Yeah. How they made it. Because obviously it's it, it made it seem like it was as terrifying as this night was, like, all the time, which the girls are saying it wasn't. No. Um, the fact that they had, they have a good memory of it is odd. Yeah. I, um, I didn't know that Andrea had written, uh, a book, book about it. In fact, she has three books, and had I known that well ahead of time, I would have read those prior, because she says what actually happened on multiple occasions was much worse. Maybe we could yeah. do a second part because I'd love to hear what she said. Yeah, I kind of want to figure out when her movies are coming out so I can maybe cover time like time, yeah, yeah, and do a second part. Um, but it definitely like when you do like the basic research, it's like cool. Like there's some ghosts that live in the house, and like there was this one night where this happened, and right. that's basically it. But like if you start really like if you dig, you will find right. So um, yeah, but it. Whew. So is Caroline still alive? Uh, I believe in she'd be up in age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I last I heard she was getting sick. She probably has passed by now, but I can double check. She said that she wasn't afraid of dying because of her her experiences. Yeah. Yeah, That she was grateful for what had happened because it no longer made her afraid of anything really. But yeah, death in particular. Um, April Parent did pass away, who was one of the daughters. Right. Um, and I know that her mom did outlive her. Okay. But I think she might still be alive. <sighs> that was a trip. Yeah. That I need to... It made me want to start doing more spooky ones. Yeah, that was um, a good one. Because, like, I don't... 
Like I said, I don't mess with demons. Like, right. I, yeah. No. I was raised in a Christian household and <laughs> just, just be clear. Like, well, I mean, I'm like, we're not saying they don't exist. We just don't want to fuck with them. Th- that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, I'm exactly saying the opposite of that. Like, right. I do believe they exist and yep. that's why I don't mess with it. Yep. But the haunted spooky things was like, it was fun without like the heaviness. Like, yeah. you don't have to like worry about, you know, a kid being tortured and stuff like that or right. like people dying. Because everybody made it out alive in this situation, except, except for, like, for if we're, like, people. talking about the Arnold estate. Yeah, then <laughs> that's different. Um, but, yeah. And I wonder how much a night... Uh, I mean, there's this is still a running business, like a BNB, like Airbnb. Yeah, there's booked out through 2022 right now. Holy moly. Yeah. So, whoever buys it, I think the agreement is that whoever buys it has to honor at least what's booked currently. Gotcha. Um, and then do with it what they will, but... I wonder if they've had, if they tried to like exercise the house or anything. I'm sure they have, but then there's part of me that goes, maybe they haven't because it's like a tourist attraction. But like, there's so many of them. Right. The thing is, is with exorcism, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody else. One at a time. You have to call them by name. You have to call them by name. Yeah. Why do we know this? And exorcism, (laughs) I believe, I believe is only for demonic possessions. And so right. if well, the house itself is being haunted by spirits, I don't think an exorcism though. would work. Except for that basement. Well, yeah. Just flood it with holy water. <laughs> All right. All Thanks right. for that trip. All that right. was uh, that was a ride to Rhode Island I will never take. So. <laughs> Go follow us on socials. You know where we're at. If you've had any spooky encounters, email us <laughs> a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com. All right. Cool. Bye. Bye.